you would open your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 39. I so love that song we just sung. And it's been my prayer all day that we'll be saying in our hearts when we leave here what we just sung. Out of my shameful failure and loss, Jesus, I come. Into the glorious gain of thy cross, Jesus, I come to thee. I heard Brother Henry say often, especially when I was younger, had no idea what he was saying about preaching for a decision. And that's what I want to do tonight. Not a decision to make you walk an aisle, but preach Christ in such a way. He laid out in such a way. You've got to make a decision. Do I believe him or not? One or the other. That's what I hope for tonight. All right, Genesis chapter 39. We'll read the first six verses. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. All right, let's bow together in prayer. Seek the Lord's blessing. Our Father, we do bow before you. And Father, we seek a blessing from thy hand. Father, we dare not come into thy presence seeking what we deserve or something we think we've earned from thee. But Father, out of your pure mercy, and grace to your people, out of your love and pity to your people. Father, we pray you'd bless us tonight as we look into your word, and by faith enable us to see the Lord Jesus Christ, and to lay hold on him. Cause each of us tonight to come running to Christ our Savior. He truly is everything that we need. He's everything that you require of us. He's everything that we need. For the believer, he he is our heart's desire. Father, I beg of you that you would enable me to rightly divide the word of truth and enable me to glorify and magnify the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, enable me to preach far beyond my capabilities, but in the power of thy spirit. Father, for thy great namesake, that your son would be glorified and for the sake of your people that they might know more of Christ our Savior. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us this place where we can meet together in peace and unity and to worship our Savior. 
And I pray that you would protect it. That you'd protect it, preserve it, that this might be a place where your people can always come and hear the Christ, the bread of life. Father, we thank you for the many earthly blessings that you've given to us. You've so richly bestowed upon us all these things. And Father, we're thankful. And we do pray a special blessing, Father, for those that you've brought into the valley of trouble and trial. You have blessed us beyond measure. But Father, we're also a poor and a needy people. And how clearly you show us that in the valley. And Father, we pray you comfort the hearts of your people, that you be with them in a special way. Deliver them as soon as it could be thy will. But Father, it's in Christ's name. For his sake and his glory, we pray and ask these blessings. Amen. Uh, tonight, I want us to look at Joseph as a type of Christ the servant. I've titled the message, Christ the Servant that we can trust. And as I said a minute ago, I, I want to preach this in such a way that the Holy Spirit will cause all of us to believe on Christ and to rest on Christ, to rest on Him alone. Because He makes us see this so clearly. Christ is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of it. I pray that the Lord will either, either give you faith in Christ for the very first time or that the Lord will make you rejoice that he's already given you faith in Christ. And this, this view of Christ the servant and what that means he's accomplished for his people. Now Joseph, the favorite son of his father, boy, his life turned upside down, didn't it? He suddenly became a servant down in Egypt. And you know, I'm just confident of this. When all this was happening to Joseph, his brothers take him and strip him and throw him down the pit and there's no water and sell him to the Ishmaelites and who knows how long he was with the Ishmaelites. To the, I don't know how long it took them to get to Egypt and sell him to Potiphar. Joseph didn't know why all of this was happening. Now he knew who was doing it. Just like we do, don't we? I know things, all these things that happen in our world. I know who's doing it. I don't know what God's purpose is in it. But I do know who's doing it. And boy, that had to be so much on Joseph's mind. He knew God was doing this, but he sure didn't know why. And what Joseph doesn't know yet is Joseph has to be in Egypt so that he can be made second in command in that great nation so that during the seven years of famine that are coming, Many people will be saved alive. But Joseph is the favorite son of his father. Back there in wherever they were, Shechem or wherever they were, Hebron. Now how's Joseph going to get to Egypt? If you were directing this thing, how would you get Joseph to Egypt? I mean, I think I might have Pharaoh's right hand man come get Joseph and say, come with me, we need you. You know, Take him in a big chariot and all comfortable, somebody feeding him grapes or something. The Lord in his providence brought Joseph to Egypt as a slave so that ultimately he can be raised to the throne so that he can be a picture of Christ, the Savior, who came to earth as a servant so that he could save his people from their sin. That's what is pictured, Christ, how, how Christ is pictured in Joseph, the servant. Now you think Joseph was something, being the favorite of his father. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the favorite of his Father. 
He is God over all. He's the son. He's God over all. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's sovereign in everything. Now you can't stress that too much and you can't take that too far. Our God is sovereign in everything. Everything. Yet, when he came to earth, he came as a servant to do a work. He came as a servant doing work. He came to accomplish the work of redemption for his people. That's why in Isaiah 42, I read to open the service. The Lord called his son, behold, my servant, whom I uphold. He, he's coming as a servant with a job to do. Now tonight, I want us to see five blessed points of Christ the servant. And I can say, I hope each of these points will make us trust him. Number one is this. this. It's so amazing. The Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself to come down to be a servant. Verse 1, Genesis 39 says, Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And that's more than going down, going south. Joseph was brought down when he went to Egypt. You just think how shocking this change of life was for the favorite son who's suddenly a servant in Egypt. He doesn't know anybody there. He doesn't know the language of the people, and he's not like anybody who's there. I mean, how strange that had to feel for him. And he had to endure being a servant that nobody cared about. Well, back there at his father's house, everybody cared how Joseph felt. What jo- you know, it's all about Joseph, isn't it? Everybody cared about him. Boy, down there in Egypt, nobody does. Nobody cares anything about him. Look over Philippians chapter 2. That is such a good picture of Christ the Savior. I want to stress this because Christ coming down to save his people indicates his great love. He's willing to humble himself and come down. First of all, to please his father. But second of all, to save a people that he loves. That's why he did it. Philippians 2, verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It's not robbery for him to say he's equal with God because he is God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. As it wasn't humbling enough to be made in the likeness of men, he made himself come in the form of a servant. Now that's the longest journey that's ever been taken for him to come from heaven as God to appear on earth as a man, to take on him the likeness of a man. And the son of God was just like Joseph. He came to this world and he's not like anybody here. He's holy, we're unholy. He's righteous, we're unrighteous. In glory, before he left glory, he was the object of worship. Everybody there worshipped him. When he came to earth, he's despised and rejected of men. And he endured that. He did that so that he could be the servant who would come and do all of the work that was required to save his people from their sin. Now, I don't know if Joseph ever complained about his circumstances. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. 
But this is what I do know. There is not one complaint recorded in Scripture that Joseph made. He didn't complain about his circumstances. And the Holy Spirit did that that way in Scripture as a picture of Christ who never complained about any of his circumstances. Now, he didn't gloss over them and say, you know, that's all right when it wasn't. But he never complained about it. And you know why? Because everything that happened to our Savior happened to him because it was his will that it happened. I mean, people did what they did to the Lord Jesus because he willed for them to do it before time began. Now, he's not going to will for people to do something to him and then complain about it. He didn't complain about it. This was his will being done. This is what he must endure, the work that he must do to save his people from their sin. More than just being a servant, in all things, the Lord Jesus Christ was a willing servant. He's the bond slave of his father. Now, the bond slave was different than other slaves. Other slaves may be a slave because they were captured in battle or something. You know, they're there against their will. Maybe a person is a slave because they had debts they couldn't pay and they sold themselves into slavery to pay their debt. They're there because they have to be against their will. But the bond slave, he's a willing slave. The bond slave said, I love my master so much. I love serving my master so much. I'm going to keep on being his slave. My time's up as a slave, but I refuse to go free because I love my master. That's what a bond slave is. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in one of the Psalms, my ear hast thou digged. What he's talking about there is how they bored a a hole in the earlobe of the bond slave and hung a ring in it so everybody would know this is a bond slave. He's here willingly. The Lord Jesus Christ is the bond slave of his father. He loved his father so much. He refused to avoid. All the the pain, the suffering, the humiliation, the hard work that it took to please his father. He refused to avoid any of it. He did it all because he, he loves his father. And he loves his people so much. He had the power to go free, but he refused to go free from punishment. From the punishment of the law because that's the only way he could save his people from their sins. If you're still there in Philippians 2, let's read on, verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a serpent, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, he did that because that's the only way the sin of his people could be put away. Wherefore? God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you see there the reason for the exaltation of Christ was what he accomplished in his his humiliation. He had to go through that time of humiliation. He had to go through that time of his servant where he would obey his own law, where he'd suffer and die for the sin of his people so that he could be exalted as the Savior over all. Now I'm telling you, you can trust your soul 
to Christ. Because as a servant, he's already done everything the Father requires of you and me. He already did it as a servant to his Father. And when he did it, he did it perfectly. That's why when he cried from the cross, it is finished. The Father accepted him because everything he did was perfect. This is the only servant who could ever truly say, it's finished. There's no more work left to do. Now you can trust him. He's finished the work. All right, number two, look back in our text. The Lord Jesus Christ prospered as the servant. He was a willing servant. He appeared as a servant and he prospered as a servant. Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Joseph is taken down there as as a slave and everything he did just turned to gold. I mean, this guy had the Midas touch. If Joseph planted a field, boy, it produced a bumper crop. If Joseph bought something and, and resold it, I mean, he made a killing. I mean, just the profit that he made and everything that he did. If something got broke around the house and Joseph fixed it, it was better than new. I mean, just everything prospered. Everything that Joseph did made his master, it made his master's life better. Potiphar was thrilled to have Joseph as his servant because he could see my life's better because Joseph is my servant. Isn't that a good picture of Christ, the servant of God? Everything he did prospered because everything he did was perfect. Christ came to obey his father's law and he did it so perfectly. Not only did he obey the law, he honored it and magnified it. He obeyed the law so fully. He made untold millions of people righteous by one man's obedience. You think of that. Christ came, he he had a a mission from his father, a work to do. And part of it was a a message of salvation. Well, he came and spoke all the words that the father gave him to speak. He came and gave this message that the father gave him to, to speak to men. In John 17, verse eight, he said, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. What you gave me to preach, I preached. And they have received them. Your people have received them and believed them. The Lord Jesus Christ did such a good job of speaking for God. You know what men who appear to be unbelievers, you know what they said about him? Never man spake like this man. Oh, never man spake. All these other yahoos I hear preaching, you know, they're talking about the law and what I got to do, what I don't do, and, and just keep showing me all this sin and all this, you know, how horrible I am. When this man speaks, grace trips from his lips. Never man spake like this man. Christ spoke the words that the Father gave him to speak so perfectly that if anybody ever hears him speak, they will have eternal life. 
they'll have eternal life. They receive his words and believe on him. That's eternal life. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and God's sin. I mean, you hear him speak, you have eternal life. That's pretty prosperous, isn't it? (laughs) And you know what? That was no surprise. The father knew that his son, when he came, would be a prosperous servant. 700 years before Christ was born, Isaiah prophesied, the pleasure of the Lord is going to prosper in his hand. It's going to prosper in the hand of the servant because everything he's going to do is going to be perfect. Now Christ the Savior came to this earth as a servant. He came with a job that his father sent him to do. To save his people from their sin. And he is such a prosperous servant that he has fully and completely, completely saved all of his people from all of their sin so that it is impossible for even one of them to perish. That's pretty prosperous. That's pretty prosperous. As far as I can see, that's a mighty good reason to trust your soul to Christ to save. He's the prosperous servant. He's prosperous because everything he did was perfect. Then number three, the Lord Jesus Christ was the prosperous servant of his father. So the father gave everything he has to Christ. Verse four says that Joseph found grace in Potiphar's sight and he served him and he made him overseer over all his house. Over all that he put in, over all that he had, he put into his hand. And verse six says he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he didn't even know what he had save the bread which he did eat. Potiphar didn't know what he had except for what Joseph put in front of him to eat. He didn't know anything else. Potiphar trusted Joseph so much, he never checked the books. He didn't have an annual audit to see if Joseph was stealing from him because he knew he wasn't. He wasn't cooking the books. He didn't have to go check the storehouses to see is is Joseph stealing something from me because he knew he wasn't. Potiphar, he just got up, whatever captain of the guard job, you know, he had, you know, he got up and went to that job. He probably left work early, went and played golf with the mayor or something. He just had no worries. Joseph is taking care of everything. I mean, I just don't have to worry about it. Joseph is taking care of everything. I thought today, we'll get to this later, you know the story how Potiphar had to throw Joseph in prison. I bet that was one of the worst days for Potiphar. Now suddenly he's got to start worrying about everything he's got again, you know. But he didn't have to worry about it when Joseph was there, did he? He just put Joseph in charge of his affairs and he forgot about it. He just didn't worry about it because he could trust Joseph. Now, just as a side note, let me say this. Every employee here should have already earned that trust from our boss. I think one of the best compliments a boss could give you when it comes time to, to do those annual evaluations is I don't have to worry about what you're doing. <laughs> I think that's the best compliment a boss could give you. I don't have to worry about you because I trust you. That's Joseph. Not only is Joseph a type of Christ, and you know, obviously that's first and foremost, but he's an awful good example to employees too, isn't he? What an employee he was. Now Potiphar, turning everything over to Joseph, That's such a clear picture of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
is so trustworthy that the father turned everything over to his son. He turned, first of all, all of his purpose of redemption. He turned it over to his son. I don't know if you've ever been a, a boss or a supervisor and you've got people under and, they, and they've been assigned a project. How many of you ever signed that project and never, never thought nothing about it? You know, we always stick our finger in it. We're always knowing what's going on all the time. The father gave his son the job of redeeming his people from their sin and forgot about it. Because his son is trustworthy. I tell you what a big statement that is. If his purpose fails to save even one, even one that the father chose to save out of a number no man can number, if he loses one, the father will lose all his glory and he'll lose all his credibility as God. I mean, that's how high these stakes are. It's got to be perfect. This work of redemption must be perfect. And the father wasn't worried about it in a bit because he trusted his son and he always has. Ephesians 1 verse 12 says that it was the father who first trusted in Christ. When did the father first trust in Christ? Way back there in the council halls of eternity when there was only God. And they entered into that covenant of grace where the son said, Father, I'll do it. I'll become a servant and I'll do everything that it takes to redeem these people that you gave me. I'll redeem them from their sins. The father trusted his son to get the job done. And it was well-placed trust, wasn't it? Oh, what a servant, what a savior Christ is. When he came in the flesh, he did everything perfectly that it took to save his people from their sin. So the father put everything into his hand. Everything. He put all judgment into the hand of the son. John 5, 22. The father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to the son. He committed to his son. He trusts him. The father put all flesh into Christ's hand. John 17, verse 2. Thou hast given him power over all flesh. And you know why the father gave the son power over all flesh? That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He turned everything over to his son. I'm going to give you many, many, many examples of all these individual things that's been turned over to the son. But let me just put it, sum it up this way. The father put everything, everything, into the hand of the son. There's nothing you can think of that's outside of his hand. Acts 10 verse 36 says that the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Just in case you don't know that. He is Lord of all. That's what it says. Ephesians 1 verse 22. He hath put all things, all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now the father has put all things into the hand of the son. Everything is his to dispose of. Now if Christ the Savior is Lord of all. If he's in charge of everything that ever happens in his creation. 
then that tells me there's nothing can happen. No event can ever happen in creation that would make him lose even one for whom he died. Because he's in charge of it all. That's a pretty good reason to trust your soul to him, don't you think? Because he cannot fail to save. He can't fail. Then fourthly, all of God's elect are blessed for Christ's sake, the sake of the servant. Verse 5 in our text says, And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Now God blessed Joseph because he loved Joseph. That's why he blessed Joseph, because he loved Joseph. Potiphar was just a bystander in all this. And he the only reason he ever benefited was he's connected to Joseph. You see that? Don Fortner said something in his commentary that I think was just magnificent. He said Egypt was altogether insignificant, except for the fact that Joseph was there. Isn't that good? Potiphar's insignificant, except that Joseph is there, but he was blessed because he's connected to Joseph. And later on, not only will Potiphar be blessed for Joseph's sake, all of Egypt will be blessed for Joseph's sake. People from all over the world will be blessed for Joseph's sake. And here's the the reason God did it all. Israel will be blessed for Joseph's sake. They're going to be kept from starving to death for Joseph's sake. Because God showed Joseph what he was going to do and and gave Joseph the wisdom to know what to do. All of those people are blessed for Joseph's sake. But Egypt and all the other people of the world they're just bystanders. They're just, they're insignificant in this thing. God's doing all of this to bless Israel. The children of Israel, the children of Jacob. And they're going to be blessed for Joseph's sake. Can you read anything that Jacob or one of those other boys did that, that would give you cause to think that's why God would bless them? I can't. Why were they blessed then? For Joseph's sake. Now that's the life story of every believer. Oh, God's blessed us. God's blessed us. Why? Well, it's because we're doctrinally straight. We've taken a stand for the right doctrine and we're faithful. and We're, we're blessed for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. That's true of every blessing we have. We have the blessing of righteousness for Christ's sake. Because Christ earned it by obeying the law and gave it to us. We have redemption for Christ's sake. Because Christ died to pay the redemption price with his precious blood. We have the forgiveness of sin for Christ's sake. Because Christ shed his blood to buy it. We have eternal life for Christ's sake. Because Christ died in our place so that we'd have eternal life. Even right now, right now, the gospel's being preached. And it's for Christ's sake. Now we benefit from it, don't we? I mean, you just can't really overestimate the importance of the preaching of the gospel. What a blessing that is to God's people. I mean, it's not everywhere. 
God's given it to us here. And we benefit from it. Christ is, is revealed to us. Christ the Savior. How God saves sinners. That's revealed to us by the preaching of the gospel. God's people are fed. They're strengthened. They're, they're comforted. They're encouraged by the preaching of the gospel. We benefit. There's no question about it. There's no greater benefit that we could have. But I'm telling you, the gospel is not preached for our sake. The gospel is preached for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. So that the name of Christ will be honored and glorified in the earth. Now that'll fix our wagon. What is it that we're supposed to do as a church body? Huh? We're supposed to carve out a place for ourselves and a name for ourselves and get all these things for ourselves? Or are we to glorify the name of Christ? That's why the gospel is preached. That his name will be glorified in the earth. I mean, just even the preaching of the gospel, even the, the having a place to come hear the gospel, it, it's for Christ's sake. You just can't think of any blessing that you have that's not given to you for Christ's sake. Scripture says the Father has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. It's in Christ. It's for Christ's sake. Every blessing God asks for a sinner is in Christ. Everything he requires of us to have is in Christ because he's given everything he has to his son. Now, everything you need is in Christ. I just they can't be more simple than that. Everything you need is in Christ. Let me tell you one more time. Go to Christ and go right now. All right, here's the last thing. Christ the servant is a goodly person. Verse 6 says, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Now that word goodly means a beautiful visage. Joseph had a, when you looked at him physically, had a beautiful visage. And that word well-favored means a phenomenon. A phenomenon. Now that has to mean Joseph was a good looking guy. I mean, on top of being smart and resourceful and hardworking and God blessing everything he ever put his hand to, he's handsome too. I mean, just he's just that guy. Now that's a picture of Christ. He's altogether lovely. Every attribute, every characteristic of Christ is altogether lovely. His mercy is lovely. His grace, his truth, his justice is lovely. His love, how that he could love unlovable sinners like you and me. That's lovely, isn't it? It's beautiful. Now here's some good news. Christ's beauty, he's altogether lovely. His beauty is the beauty of his people. As he is, how is he right now? Glorified. He's not, he's not like he was and his visage marred so much he didn't even look like a man as he hung on Calvary's tree. He didn't look like that anymore. 
He doesn't look like a helpless baby in a manger. He's glorified. In glorified flesh. He's so glorious. John said, heaven doesn't have need of the sun because the lamb is the light thereof. He, oh, his beauty, how it shines forth. As he is, so are you in this world if you believe. His beauty is your beauty. Now giving his beauty to his people, that came at great cost to the Savior. In order to make dead, vile, ugly, guilty sinners like you and me beautiful, our Savior had to be sacrificed in our place for our sin. And when he was sacrificed, that beautiful visage was so marred you couldn't tell he was a man. He was so phenomenally beautiful. He was marred more than any other man. Now that shows us how much he truly suffered. His physical sufferings give us a glimpse of his soul sufferings. His soul suffered when he made his soul an offering for sin. And it showed in his body. Showed in his body. Someone enduring great grief and sorrow and our hearts just being crushed in a trial. It shows physically. That's what happened to our Savior. And he endured all of that because he loves his people so much. He was determined to give them his beauty and tell them, look how beautiful you are. With my beauty that I put on you. Now this servant. Makes his people. As beautiful in the eyes of the father. As he is. I'll say it one more time. As far as I'm concerned. That's a mighty good reason to trust him. And I pray God will make it so. That we'll leave here tonight. Trusting him. Because he's worthy of our trust. All right, Let's bow together. Our Father, how can we even begin to sufficiently thank you for the gift of your Son? How he perfectly accomplished all of the redemption of his people. Father, I pray you take your word as it's been preached this evening. That you'd use it to glorify the Savior in such a way in the eyes of each one of us here. That Father, we'd leave here tonight trusting him. And resting in him. Having eternal life in him. Father it's for his glory's sake. The glory of his name. We pray. And we ask this great blessing. Amen. All right, Sean come lead us in a closing hymn if you would.